Making the world a more beautiful place, Artemis publishes artists and writers from the Appalachian region of the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia and beyond. This is the time when we need to write and make art for the sake of healing our souls and enriching our communities. Welcome to Artemis Speaks. Jerry Rogers. I'm here in my studio with my co-producer, Skip Brown, and we are welcoming in Bill Gloss, who is a poet, and he uh, is coming to us via Zoom, the magic of Zoom. So welcome, Bill. It's so good to have you here. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here, too. So a little bit about you. Uh, you're a former paratrooper and combat veteran. You're the author of five poetry books, two chapbooks, and you've been published in the Missouri Review, Rattle, Artemis Journal, and The Sun, among others. He was named the Daily Press Poet Laureate, and in 2017, he was featured by NPR on the Writer's Almanac. His uh, honors include the F. Scott Fitzgerald Short Story Award, the Robert Bosch Fiction Award, and the Dateline Award for Excellence in Journalism. His newest book, Postscript to War, uh, unites his own combat, combat experience with those of other veterans. He examines the lasting effects of battle and injuries often invisible to the naked eye. The poems in Postscript to War peel away the scab of the memory that revealed the raw and tender emotions that lie within. This is um, really an unusual approach. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad to have you here. We have published your poetry before on Artemis Journal, so it's just a pleasure to meet you and hear your story, your backstory about how you became a poet, because you're you were. You were born into a family, a military family. You told me you lived all over the world on bases. You were an army brat. Your father was a uh, pilot. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was actually an Air Force brat. Air Force. I, I, okay. I joined the army myself, but uh, uh, I was born in California and then grew up on Air Force bases overseas: uh, Japan, Okinawa, a long time in England, and. It wasn't until my dad retired at Langley Air Force Base in Virginia that we finally had a place to call home. <laughs> and uh, I've called Virginia home ever since, even, even after I joined the Army and traveled some of the world myself. So the template for your lifestyle, you come from a military family, so you automatically took that route. You went to Virginia Tech in Blacksburg. And you were part of the ROTC, correct? Right. So I, I was in the Corps of Cadets there. I uh, I was hoping to become a pilot like my father, but I don't have the good eyes that he does. So uh, what I did, I, I figured if I couldn't fly the planes, I would jump out of them. And I, I went from Air Force ROTC into Army ROTC. 
And uh, um, immediately after commissioning, I, I was in the 82nd Airborne and became a paratrooper. That must take a lot of courage. I, I, I personally could never jump out of a plane. I, I can't imagine what would prompt somebody to do that. <laughs> but you were young and, and courageous, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, young and stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, my dad always says the same thing. He says he doesn't understand why anyone would jump out of a perfectly good <laughs> airplane. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. But, uh, uh, yeah, so I, I, I got about 60 jumps while I was uh, while I was in the 82nd, and uh, I was only injured once. I, I did get a concussion on one of the jumps. Um, there, there are a lot of injuries whenever we have a battalion-sized jump. Every battalion-sized jump that I participated in, it's called a mass tactical jump, and every time at least one person would break a leg. Uh, you know, when most people think of parachuting, they think of someone uh, uh, diving in at the beginning of a football game and doing some acrobatic motions in the air and then tiptoeing off at the 50-yard line. And, and for most people, that is what parachuting is. You're, you're under a silk sail that acts as a wing, and you have total control of it. But in military jumping, the idea is to get you down to the ground as fast as possible so you were a target for as little time as possible. The longer you're in the air, the longer you can be shot at. So they drop us low. At uh, uh, on training jumps, we drop at 800 feet. For combat jumps, we drop at 500 feet, uh, and we fall fast. We we hit the ground at 18 to 22 feet per second, and if you don't do the proper motions, you break a leg, and that's why there are so many injuries. Uh, but uh, I, I never had that happen to me, uh, and I. I I loved my jumps, and I loved my time in the 82nd. And where were you when you were jumping? What, what war were you in? Uh, so I, you know, my, my jumps were primarily in North Carolina at Fort Bragg um, and other places across the states. We, we went to Texas for a month, and I had some great jumps uh, out there. <laughs> I actually... Uh, you know, you, you can't jump with a camera, or, or at least you're not supposed to. I, I snuck with me a cardboard camera on one of the jumps I did in Texas, and I stuck it down in my pants and had it tied on with a uh, uh, 550 cord. So when I was falling in the air under canopy, I pulled the camera out and I took a lot of great pictures. And then as I was getting closer to the ground and had to do my actions, I had to lower my rucksack and pull a slip into the wind, I, I threw the camera out. And, you know, if you throw something out and you're suspended over air, you expect it to fall down. But it just floated in the air right there in front of my face. And so I was mesmerized by this camera and forgot about doing all my actions. And I hit the ground like a, like a sack of cement. <laughs> Luckily. Uh, the sand was soft, and I didn't break anything then either. So you recovered the camera? Oh, yes. I, I had the camera tied off, and it was oh. one of those cardboard disposal oh, cameras. So it didn't, you know, it didn't get damaged from, from that. And I got some great pictures. 
Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. So you eventually ended up in the Persian Gulf War. Is that correct? Uh, yes. So uh, so we didn't do any jumping in uh, the Gulf War, but uh, we were the first soldiers sent over after Hussein invaded Kuwait. Uh, we were what was called the line in the sand. And I, I remember, you know, two things I distinctly remember at the time were by the media. One, one thing was a headline that we saw when we first got out there called a speed bumps. Uh, we were uh, light troops. Everything we carried into battle, we carried on our back. And we were going up against mechanized uh, forces. They had tanks. They had all kinds of other armor. And, you know, the expectation was that they would just roll right through us. But, you know, Saddam blinked and he allowed us to build up and get our own mechanized forces and air force in there. And uh, we all know how it's turned out. The other thing I remember is on the day of the actual uh, invasion, you know, this was well before cell phones or anything else. Uh, and we were about 50 miles inside Iraq, and we were log jammed on a road. And while we were you know, waiting, someone turned on BBC, and we listened to this news report that said that paratroopers had jumped uh, into Baghdad and had been wiped out. And so I'm sitting there thinking, you know, we're the only paratroopers out there, so they're talking about us. And we were on a road in trucks miles away from Baghdad. Uh, and I, But I'm just thinking, my parents are hearing this report, and there's nothing I can do to let them know that, you know, this is not accurate. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of confusion uh, in war and a lot of misinformation. How long were you in the military? So uh, I was in the military a total of eight years. I was three years in the National Guard, and then I was five years in the 82nd. Uh, so I got out in 1995. And uh, at, at that point, I got into factories. I was in a factory in Chicago for three years in a factory in Connecticut for a year. And while I was working out on the factory floors, I was dreading my day, just kind of plodding through it. But then I'd come home at night and I'd write stories. And writing was such a release for me. I, I you know, it, it felt so freeing. And so I decided, you know, this is America. You can find a way to work at anything you enjoy. So I left the factory life. I came back to Virginia and I became a freelance writer. Uh, and for a little over 20 years, I wrote for magazines, uh, primarily Virginia Living and Super Lawyers. And, you know, that was, so I, I made my living as a writer and I, I still am. <laughs> Were you writing poetry at that time, or that was later? Uh, yes, yeah, so that was so that was later. So the the writing that I did mostly was for magazines. I was writing profile articles. I was writing uh, sports stories, other features. 
Uh, and I had several poet friends that kept encouraging me to use poetry to explore the feelings I had about the war. Uh, my dad was a Vietnam veteran, and he never talked about his war, nor did any of the other veterans that I knew. You know, we all just kept it bottled up inside and occasionally blew up for no good reason. And so my friends just kept encouraging me, and I eventually did write some war poems, and uh, mostly I stuffed them in drawers, too scared to share them with anyone, because I, I, it wasn't just that, just that they were so raw, it's that I was worried what other people would think of me if they you know, got this view into what I was thinking, what I had experienced, what I had done. Uh, eventually, though, they kept prodding, and I shared some of these poems at an uh, open mic, and I was greatly relieved that you know, not only did no one belittle me or shame me, uh, everybody you know, applauded and people came up to me afterwards, thank, thank me for sharing that and uh, encouraged me to continue. So that was, that was the start of my poetry. Well, that's wonderful. You know, my father, I think I told you, was a pilot in World War II, a fighter pilot in Africa and Italy and southern France, and served four years, survived World War II. He never spoke about his experiences, and he never flew again. He just never wanted to take that chance. But as civilians, I think we just cannot imagine what a soldier, you as a soldier, a young man, what you see and experience, and, and, and you know, by sharing that, you're afraid of judgment and so forth. And uh, I think that's wonderful that you finally did find the medium of poetry to bring out those dark thoughts and those feelings in yourself. And, uh, you know, we need to hear more about that. We need to understand what yeah. war does to people. And, and whenever someone brings up to me that, that, same, <laughs> that same fear, wondering, you know, is it if, if either I or someone I love has experienced this kind of trauma, is it wise to ask them to write about it or even ask them to read it, something else someone, someone else has written. Uh, and, you know, I just think that anything that scares us enough to have it buried deep down inside, no problem can improve if we simply ignore it. And, you know, my personal experience, it has been tough to write these poems, to read these poems, to share them with other people, but uh, it, it has been so cathartic too. It, it, it really has been a healing for me. And I, I think it is the same for other veterans or anyone who has suffered any kind of trauma. Yes, and, and I know with Artemis Journal, our beginnings, came out of writing workshops for abused women, and uh, we saw amazing transformation 
you know, of, of people, these women who were all closed up, could hardly talk, and all of a sudden they had this medium, journal writing, to, to express what was going on, and you shed light on it, you bring it out, and it starts healing. I guess, you know, that's what therapy's about, right? Yeah, and, and it is so fantastic what you have done and continue to do with Artemis Journal. I, I've been a, a fan of it for many years. Uh, there, you know, there are a couple of poems that have been published recently, but I have one that was published in there, I think, nearly 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so Isn't that amazing? I, I've been... Yeah, I've been I've been following you for a while. Oh well, it's been great to have you on board. We love we love your work, and uh, later on at the end of the interview, you're going to read a poem that we published uh, what in 2019. One of my favorite poems I've read of yours. So, um, as your journey of a writer, uh, you have gone many places. You now share your poetry, but you also have taught. And you work with, do you work with other veterans or is that something you? Uh, whenever I get an opportunity, I, I like to work with other veterans. There's uh, one group called ASAP, Armed Services Arts Partnership, uh, ASAP.org, if anybody wants to look them up. And they do wonderful work uh, using arts as a way for veterans to explore their feelings and to express themselves. Uh, and not just the writing arts, they have performing arts, they have visual art. Uh, one, of their, one of the things that they have done frequently is they have these stand-up showcases. And it's wonderful seeing these veterans, sometimes wounded veterans, getting up there and laughing at themselves and making light of something that really troubles them. Uh, so, uh, so that's, you know, one way I, I have been involved. I've, I've spoken, I, I've gone and done small workshops at uh, uh, VA hospitals um, and done some other classes at either writers' conferences or gone and spoken at universities. Uh, but any chance I, I get to speak to the veteran community, I, you know, I uh, embrace that wholeheartedly. That's uh, wonderful that you can share that with with the other veterans and you know the public at large. Your poetry is amazing. So um, you are going to release a book next year, "All the Ruined Men." Can you tell right. us about what that's about? Uh, that one I'm I'm very excited about. It's uh, it'll be my first book of published fiction. So this is a collection of linked short stories. So it reads like a novel, but uh, each chapter is a story in itself. It is about a squad of soldiers that have deployed numerous times to Iraq and Afghanistan, and now they are having difficulties adjusting to life as civilians back home. Uh, so each of them experiences trouble and difficulty in ways that varies from all the others. And they come from different parts of the country. And it's uh, the thing that I've enjoyed most about working on this one is 
it has allowed me to to show the many ways soldiers differ from one another. So often, you know, when someone who has no experience with the military or any other big organization, they imagine everyone is this one cookie cutter image. And every individual is exactly that, an individual. They, they, you know, we're trained the same way, but we are still individuals. And when we come out, we have all our individual hopes and individual fears. And that's what I, you know, really tried to highlight uh, with that. Uh, uh, the book is with a major publisher. It's with St. Martin's Press. So Great. It's, Congratulations. It's, so I'm, yeah, I'm excited about that. The, the launch meetings for it is actually this coming Monday. So next week, I will discover when the book <laughs> will be released. I know it'll be uh, next year, I think in the spring. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll know a lot more uh, next week. And I'm looking forward to getting out and, you know, uh, sharing that book with the world. I, I, I worked on those for those stories for so long. And, and a lot of them evolved out of poems that I had previously written. You know, so I have, I have two books of war poetry. And there are a lot of other poems I've written that did not make it into books. And, you know, many of them that were narrative in style, I, you know, I thought, you know, this is a full story here if I, you know, want to expand it. And once I started doing that, I was discovering that same joy I felt in the factories. <laughs> you know, it just, I, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't stop work on them and i i was just completely into that world so uh but that's called all the ruined men and it'll be out you know, next year and really looking forward to it that's wonderful i was just listening to um blackbird by the beatles driving down the mountain for this interview and it was you know talks about how do you take a bird with broken wings and teach it how to fly again and you you had broken wings, but you found you could fly once you started writing poetry. It's just Absolutely. wonderful. Now, where would people go to find out more information about your books? Uh, so the best place is just to go to my website, which is simply my name, BillGlose.com. Uh, you can you know you can Google me, and that'll send you different places. But but my website, I have a page that. Uh, uh, lists my book information, upcoming events. There's also for any writers out there, I, I keep a a page on there of helpful information for writers. Uh, either you know articles I've written about craft, or just any helpful groups or organizations that I've come across over the years. So wonderful, that's great, and. Uh... Speaking of organizations, you're president pro tem of the Poetry Society here in Virginia, and you've been very involved with the Poetry Society. It's an old one. I belong. And yeah, you want to talk about that? Oh, yeah. So the Poetry Society of Virginia does wonderful things to, uh, you know, to showcase poetry in the state and to help poets uh, get noticed and also to serve as a community, you know, where we can gather. 
one of the things I've been doing for about eight years now, I travel around the state to different events, uh, different poetry readings, and I film them and post them on a YouTube channel called Virginia Poetry Online. And I have well over a thousand videos that I've posted on there. And I've traveled to most regions in the state, not enough out west. So I'm looking forward to coming out uh, to the launch of, you know, the next launch of Artemis Journal and uh, filming that. So I can include that in there too. Fantastic. We'd love to have you down here. Uh, and we just solidified the date, September 3rd for our launch. I don't know if you're busy, but we'll talk about that later. One other thing that I, before we conclude this interview, uh, speaking about your next book coming out and the hardships that these people, men and women, face with these multiple deployments, it's very hard on the families as well. And the suicide rate is so high. So hopefully your book can help address some of these issues and shed light on this problem. Yeah, I, I, I hope so too. And, you know, one of the, you know, the leading, one of the things about that, you know, when you, when you come back from war, you know, in, in war, you are trained to do inhuman things. And when you come back, you need to try to be a gentle soul again. And that can be, you know, just very difficult to be able to find your purpose or your place in society. And, you know, without help or, uh, you know, it's something else to focus uh, your emotions, you know, a lot of people have resorted to that. I, I can't remember the numbers now, but it's, it's something like uh, 17 people, 17 veterans a day committing suicide uh, at one point. And, you know, so the, the arts are an excellent way to, you know, refocus and to channel the, those hurt feelings into something constructive. Well, you're a great role model for that, and uh, I thank you so much for coming and sharing this. We're going to conclude the interview with you reading a poem that we published, I believe, back in 2019, uh, Beatitude of Touch. Okay. So uh, this one is uh, based on a painting uh, by Jared Cullum, which is entitled Teething. Uh, and that painting shows a mother holding a teething baby. The Beatitude of Touch. The mother's face is tired, greasy hair swept back, knotted behind her head. Eyes closed as she stands swaying, toddler hugged to chest. One arm wrapped beneath his diaper, one round the small of his back. His fussy protests have finally surrendered to exhaustion. Chubby fingers of one hand worrying the enameled edges that pierce his gums. She studies his face, 
now serene as virgin snow, sees the same brow and full lips of his father, home from war, asleep in the other room, his rage for this quiet moment forgotten. Rocking back and forth, giving all her infinite self to ritual, she feels her son fall limp. Gums will heal. Pain and anger will subside. And she will always cling to what matters most. Beautiful. Well, you've certainly addressed a lot of different feelings there. Thank you so much, Bill, for joining us today and sharing your poetry and your thoughts. And thank you to our audience for joining us. And know that, you know, the arts are just so essential to so many of us. And any way you can support the arts or or create art yourself will we'll make this a better world, a more beautiful world. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, Skip Brown, for making this happen. Thank you again, Bill. Okay. Can anybody tell me Will we all lost track of time, yeah You've been listening to Artemis Speaks. Artemis is a charitable organization now 43 years old and has evolved to be all-inclusive, a journal with essays, poetry, and art. 10% of the journal's sales are donated to a woman's shelter in southwest Virginia. If you're interested in learning more, artemisjournal.org. You can mail us directly, P.O. Box 505, Floyd, Virginia, 24091. The closing music and the opening music you're listening to is Jordan Harmon. And the song is Just Slow Down, a very appropriate comment for the times that we're in. If you want to read, you have to slow down. Artemis Speaks, the podcast, is recorded twice monthly at Final Track Studios in Roanoke, Virginia. All rights reserved and is co-produced by Jerry Rogers and Skip Brown.
Just slow down. 